Good and gracious God, as we gather together as your body, we come to also hear your word proclaimed. God, that this word would be revealing to our hearts. And God, what it would be revealing of is your glory, your majesty, your splendor. Lord, that as we read your word, we would fall more and more in love with you. God, that we would encounter you in this place this morning. And that we would not leave unchanged. So good and gracious God, meet us in this place where the Spirit of the Lord is. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you have your Bible with you, or if you want to grab a pew Bible, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 2 this morning. Uh, And if you're with us for the first time, last week we started a new series, and we're going to be walking through the book of Revelation over the next five months, which I know some of you hear and you're like, that's intimidating. That's a long time to spend in a single book of the Bible, but Revelation is so dense and so rich and full of so much metaphor and mystery that it's going to take that long for us to get through it. And so I hope that you will stick around with us and that you will come and listen to the way that that really, I believe, Revelation should be read. It's not something to be scared of. It's not something to be intimidated by, but it's a book full of hope, full of encouragement, full of comfort to the church of Jesus Christ. And as we talked last week, I think it really does reveal more and more who Jesus really is to us. And so I hope that you will come and continue to be encouraged by it. But last week, we read from chapter 1, and this week we're going to be moving to chapter 2. But before we read the passage this morning, I just want to ask the question, how many of you ever been serving in the church and felt completely worn out by it? Yes, yeah, I see some hands, just exhausted. Maybe, you know, as uh, one of our members likes to say, I've been a professional Christian once, and it can be exhausting to be a professional Christian. But maybe some of you have just volunteered and you've given a lot of your time and dedication to the church body and you go through these seasons of just feeling worn out, exhausted, tired. And really, I think all of us to some extent have tried and tried and tried and worked and worked and worked in the church and we've been so obedient and we just go through these cycles of I can't do this anymore. Oh my goodness, I can't keep pressing on. In fact, just a couple of months ago, I had this, my own revelation of where I was going wrong in ministry. And I know that might sound crazy to you as being the pastor of the church. How could I be going wrong in ministry? Well, because I'm human and I have all kinds of things that Jesus is still working out in me. I'm not perfect. None of us are. There's only one who is perfect and his name is Jesus. But I had this revelation a couple months ago and It's when I was on my spiritual retreat and I was trying to figure out why am I already starting to feel so burdened and so exhausted and so tired from doing ministry all the time. And as I sat under the word and was reading it, 
had this moment where Jesus just spoke to me and he said, maybe it's because you're trying to do something I never asked you to do. Maybe you're trying to live up to some expectation that you placed upon yourself rather than what I have called you to in pastoring First Pres. This blew my mind. It blew it wide open. I started to realize I had been living into some unexpressible expectation as to what it meant to actually pastor of church and started to believe that I had to be obedient to these certain expectations and that as I became more obedient, Jesus would love me more, that as I became more obedient, you all would love me more, that as I became more obedient, the church would just start to grow and flourish and numbers would be added to us and we'd be exploding if I just did these things. And maybe you felt that way, not just maybe in your ministry, not just in your church work, but in your everyday life. Maybe if I just do these things, then good things will come my way. Maybe God will love me more. And so as we turn to our passage today, I really believe that Jesus has a word to us who have ever experienced exhaustion or tiredness or burnt outness, whatever kind of word you want to place around it in our Christian walk, in our faith, in our life. And so this is the word this morning from Revelation chapter 2 verses 1 through 7. And so hear these words. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, This is what the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says, I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance, and that you cannot bear with those who are evil, and you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not, and you found them to be false. And you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake. You also have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first. But if not, I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Yet this you do have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Amen. Again, as we're going to be working through this book, we're actually going to read every single verse, every single chapter that there is, because I want us to be reminded again that Revelation 1 chapter, or verse 3 says that blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and keep the things which are written in it. And so we're going to keep reading every single verse as we go through this book. And today as we hear these words from from Revelation chapter 2, We see that, again, Revelation isn't just a revelation, an apocalyptic writing. It's not just a prophetic work. It's a letter to the churches. It's something to be read by the church and to be 
responded to. We have an action to carry out. And so in this first letter that uh, John is writing to the church in Ephesus, we read, write to this church, this is the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Last week, we actually unpacked a little bit about that in our first chapter And actually, as we read each of the letters in chapters 2 and chapters 3, we're going to see this description of Christ in each and a different description of Christ in each. And this morning, we read that he is the one who holds the seven stars and walks among the seven gold lampstands. And we actually talked about last week how the seven stars are the seven angels to the churches. It is the messengers sent out to proclaim the good news of God. And Jesus is the one that holds those messengers. What I love about that word holds, it actually means he holds fast in a firm grip. A grip that he will not let go. He is a good Jesus. And he is not going to let us go. He holds us fast to he who believes we are held fast. But what I love even more is that it says that he is the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Verse 20 also reminds us in chapter 1 that the seven golden lampstands are the seven churches to which he is writing. And we got a little bit into the understanding of that number seven. The number seven means complete fullness, perfection. And so when he's writing to the seven churches, what he's saying is, I'm writing to the whole church, all churches in all time, in all history, Even though I'm writing to specific ones as listed in Revelation, it's really a reality for every church in all time. So every church can read these letters and know that they're for them. And that we can respond to them, we can hear them, and we can say, that's for me somehow, someway, right now. What is Jesus trying to say to me? And I love how it says it in this chapter. It says that he walks among them. Jesus is right here among his church. He's not left it nor abandoned it nor forsaken it. He's not some deity who is far off and completely unapproachable. He is a Jesus who is close and intimate and relational with his church. We have to start there. We have to remember that he is close and intimate with his church. He is with us. He walks among us. He is not leaving us. But as we hear that encouragement, we also then hear about what's going on in Ephesus. And we have to understand that Ephesus is a major city center. It is massive in Asia Minor. In fact, it was not the capital. Uh, Pergamum was the capital, but it was actually bigger than Pergamum because it was a major port city where every good that was coming from Europe was coming through Ephesus. 
And so as it made its way to Asia, it had to come through Ephesus. And so Ephesus is this massive metropolis, massive multicultural center where everything is, is just meeting and melding together. And so there is a lot of things going on. There's a lot going on, which means that you're also getting a whole bunch of different worldviews coming into one space. And then you have the Ephesians, the Ephesian church, might I add, the Ephesian church who's living out the, in this city where all this sin and pagan worship is rampant. And Jesus says, John, I want you to write to this church and I want you to first commend them of their deeds. I'm so grateful that I look at them and I see their toil and perseverance that you can't bear with those who are evil and you put to the test those who call themselves apostles and they are not and you found them to be false. The, the church in Ephesus is doing a good thing. They're doing a good work. They're putting all the spirits to the test as John wrote in his gospel, as Paul wrote in Thessalonians, that we've got to test all things to test them out, to feel them out. Is this true? Is this really what God is saying? Or is, or is this outside of Scripture? Is this not something about who God is? And they're, they're testing it. They're doing a good work. They're doing a good deed. And I think the reality is, like, I've been reformed long enough. I've been in the Presbyterian church long enough to know that as Presbyterians, we really love our doctrine. We really love to have it right. We really love our Bible, and we really love to talk to people about how right we are about our Bible. We're really good at that. We're really good at wanting to go to people and tell them, hey, but but this is what Jesus said. I mean, look, predestination, it's all there. It's all there. If you, if you have any other, if you're talking about anything other than predestination, then we got a problem. we got to talk about it because I don't think, we're really, really good about talking about our doctrine. We're really good about being really strict about what we believe. We've never had a problem with that. The church in Ephesus doesn't have a problem with that. They're really good at keeping doctrine, doctrine, at holding fast to the commands and doing what they need to do. They're all about their work. And it says that they endured. It says that they endured well, that they, they just kept doing it over and over and over again. And you have to remember, this is a second generation church. This isn't the same church that Paul was writing to in his letter. This is, this is the generation after the letter to the Ephesians. And so this is the group of people that are carrying out the work of that first church, of that first group of believers that Paul ministered to in his missionary journey. And so they're just doing what their predecessors always did because all they knew is what they did. But as we begin to look at this, we realize that Jesus has something against the church. In verse 4, he says, but I have this against you, that you have left your first love. You have left your first love. I can't imagine what it would be like 
to be in a relationship for years and years and years and years and years and years and then to hear your significant other say to you, I just don't love you anymore. I just don't love you anymore. How much would that cut to the bone And maybe some of you have had that experience and it hurt. To hear from somebody you love, and it doesn't even have to be a spouse, it could be a friend. I just don't love you anymore. And here, Jesus, in his graciousness to the church in Ephesus, says, You said to me, I don't love you anymore. It's not just that you lost your first love, it's that you left your first love. You turned your back on love. And Jesus, being so rich in mercy and grace, calls his church out because it's a loving thing to call one another out when they're in error. And Jesus, in his great mercy and love, he's like, church, I love you so much, I want you to know you have left your first love. Well, what is their first love? I think he makes it pretty clear in The Gospels, when he's confronted about what is the greatest commandment, Jesus responds. It's to love. Okay, so I know I'm supposed to love. What am I supposed to love? To love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. And the second commandment is like it. To love your neighbor as yourself. The first love that they lost was an all-encompassing love of Father God, of Jesus Christ, of Holy Spirit, of the gospel, of people, of each other, of themselves. They became so wrapped up in doing, in their work, that they forgot how to love. We've been talking a lot in this church about this movement from love to trust to obey. The way that we get to obedience is not by starting at obedience, because you can't Obey yourself into loving somebody. You love your way into obeying somebody. The more that you encounter the love that Jesus has for you, the more that I encounter the love that Jesus has for me, the more that I begin to trust him and believe in him, and the more I trust him and believe in him, the more obedient I become to his word. And the more obedient that I become to his word, the more I have to fall back in love with him. 
so that I can believe in him even more and trust him even deeper so that I can obey him even more. It is a continuous cycle for the Christian to encounter the love of God, to fall deeper in love with him so that your trust may grow so that you can obey him more in your life. But what happened in Ephesus is they dropped the love part and started with obedience and believed that they could work themselves into relationship with God. The reason Jesus has this against them is because because love is the thing that everything hinges on. Every aspect of our faith hinges first and foremost on love. We can't do it apart from it. We can't obey him if we don't love him. We can't trust him if we don't love him. And so when Jesus says, this I have against you, you left your first love. So what does it look, for us, look like for us to start living into this love again? What does it look like for the Christian? Well, I love the chapter on love. 1 Corinthians 13. Let's read some of this. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I become a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. If I do all the things, but I'm without love, nobody's listening to me. And if I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. What good is a word of encouragement? What good is it to have all the faith in the world if you forgot what it looks like to love? It is nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. It is of no gain for us to give everything away if we're not giving away out of first encountering the love of Christ and loving out of that encounter. It means nothing if I surrender my body to martyrdom and I give up my entire life for faith, but I lost myself from love, then I gain nothing from it. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous. It does not brag. It is not puffed up. It does not act unbecomingly. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Does not take into account wrongs suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Love never fails. All things will pass away. That's where he continues. He says prophecy will pass away. Tongues will pass away. Knowledge will be done away with. Everything will pass away except one thing, love. Love will never pass away. Love is the currency of heaven. 
to know love, to experience love, and to give love is the currency of heaven. And so if we have lost our first love, we're no longer dealing in the kingdom of heaven. We're no longer dealing with the works of heaven. We're dealing with our own works. We're dealing with our own righteousness. And we are trying to build ourselves up, thinking that the more I build myself up, the better person I will be, the more God will love me. But Jesus says, you've got it backwards. The more you love me, the more you will live into the works that I have for you, and the more people around you will see me. They will see me, not you. I think the real honest problem that happened in Ephesus is that they were so concerned with their works that people saw the Ephesian church and they didn't see Jesus. And when we start thinking about our mission statement to invite hungry people to be filled with joy in Christ Jesus, our mission statement first and foremost is not about inviting people to our institution. It's about inviting people to encounter the love of God. It's about inviting people to encounter Jesus for the first time and to realize that everything that they could experience as far as joy is concerned, is found in Jesus. Not in our church. Not in our Sunday mornings. Not in our dinner gatherings and Wednesday nights and hungry for answers. Those are just vehicles by which people can encounter Jesus. But we're not making invitations to programs. We're making an invitation to a person. And so what can we do? What do we do about this? So Jesus says, verse 5, Therefore remember from where you have fallen. First and foremost, remember that we're all broken. None of us is perfect. It's okay to acknowledge your brokenness. It's okay to acknowledge your fallen state. In fact, he encourages it because when we remember that we were once a fallen people, marred by sin, then we can live in to that encounter that we had with Jesus at first. He says, remember where you've fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first. The deeds they did at first were about encounter with Christ. They were about building each other up to know Jesus. They weren't about all of their works. Read the letter to the Ephesians, and it's all about the way that they can know Jesus deeper together, not about what they can do. What they do comes out of their love for God. But if not, I'm going to come to you and I will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. We got to do a 180 in our lives constantly, every day. I'm not saying this is a one-time thing. We repent daily because daily we mess up. We got to invite the Lord to move in our hearts through his Holy Spirit 
so that we can live more into that encounter of love so that we can have more trust and more obedience. And so he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. For he who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Praise be to the Lord Jesus. He's not going to leave us hanging. He's inviting us into deeper relationship with him, inviting us into paradise, inviting us to eat, to satisfy, to be filled, that our hunger would be no more. Man, do I love this. I couldn't have planned this better. The Lord is just like, this mission statement is for your church. Invite hungry people to be filled with joy in Christ Jesus. What an invitation he has made to us so that we may make it to the world. And so, church, let us not fall into the same error as the Ephesians who left their first love, but let us repent and return to him and get so excited for what he is doing among us. For he is the Jesus who walks among the seven lampstands and is calling us to more and more and more and to invite others to that same encounter of love that he offers. Let's pray. Good and gracious God, I am so blown away by the love that you have for your church, that you aren't unwilling to call them out in mercy and grace to lead them back to yourself. That, Lord, we would be a church that loves you, loves others, loves ourselves, loves the body, loves the gospel, loves all people. Thank you, Lord, for the work you are doing. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.